Someone asked me recently, what is the coolest part of my job as CEO at Clear Motor Marketing? I said, well, that's easy. The fact that every day I get to dig into our clients' businesses to learn not only what makes it tick, but what we can do as their partner to deliver the marketing that truly matters to their business. It's like being in a living, breathing case study every day. And for that, I am truly blessed. Hello, Collisions YYC listeners. With an overwhelming sense of pride that I wanted to share with you that the marketing agency that I had the pleasure of co-founding and leading is turning 15 years old. Yes, their motive marketing is 15. I wanted to shout out a huge thank you to all of our clients, past and present, as well as our vendors and all of the incredible team members we've worked with over the years to make this milestone possible. Check us out at clearmotive.ca to learn more about what we can do that matters to you. Hello, and welcome to Collisions YYC, Follow the Money, Investing with Purpose, a show where we have real conversations with the people who are driving change in our community. I'm really excited to have a guest on today, a follow-up, almost follow-up episode. We had this company on probably about a year ago, year and a bit ago. Some things have happened in your world, so I'm happy to share it. And I love that I've been doing this for long enough in Calgary that I'm having similar companies back again to give us updates. So welcome to the show, Stephen Vandermeulen. How are you doing, great. Thanks for having me, Tyler. Uh, my pleasure. My pleasure. You are the CEO and co-founder at, we- at Waitwell. So I never like to make any assumptions. Of course, I'd love to believe that all my listeners today have listened to the original mm-hmm. episode, which is episode 263, in case you want to go back and look. But let's jump in the quick pitch elevator. What is Waitwell all about? What do you guys do? What problem do you solve in the world? And let's launch yeah, off sounds from here. Good. Waitwell is a SaaS platform, and our focus is on optimizing service delivery. And by that, I mean the in-person service that you might have at a clinic, at a DMV or a motor vehicle registry, uh, particularly in higher education. A lot of students are um, required to have face-to-face service with registrars, administrators, and faculty. And so the whole point of the Waitwell system is to digitize that entire service delivery experience. And in doing so, we optimize the experience that students have. They don't have to wait in physical lines. Staff have more transparency into the service they need to provide. And then operators get the digital analytics that help them make sure they're doing so efficiently. Mm-hmm. And you guys are three years, uh, so oh, July 2020. So this is—is is this a COVID we baby? Are, <laughs> Sorry, that's a weird way to say. It. <laughs> yeah, but you're right. You're precisely right. We are COVID baby, and uh, we just celebrated the start of our fourth fiscal year on August 1st. So yes, we were born out of the pandemic, and the reason for that is because Shannon Vandermeulen, who is a co-founder as well, she and I owned a motor vehicle registry in Alberta, and. At the start of the pandemic, we had a responsibility to our customers to provide the same quality service that they needed uh, while also managing the COVID requirements. And we looked for a solution to support that, a digital solution to support that. And there was nothing appropriate, that at least not for our business type. So we endeavored to start the company and to produce a solution that we knew would work for public service. So that means a little more emphasis on data security, a little more emphasis on scalability and a little more emphasis on customization and we found market fit pretty much right away within that network of service providers here in alberta and it's just grown from there when you talked about your three pillars at the beginning from like the data analytics to improving the customer experience to just how does that evolve i'm curious and we'll, <clears throat> we'll get into some of your recent news which was a raise that you've that you that you've done which i a big high five on that but also really understanding over the past three years from where you started and, you know, I really appreciate you're very clear on these are the three value propositions. How did they kind of show up in the journey of evolving the product? Was did the data analytics come first? And that's what, you know, sounds like you were after actually managing the customer during a time when 
you needed a service that just wasn't there. Classic, the classic entrepreneur yeah. paradigm. Well, I guess I'm just going to have to build it then versus how it's evolved over time to go, actually, you know what? Maybe the, the data analytics is playing an even bigger role than we thought initially because that was an output, mm-hmm. but it has become more the uh, currency that we now trade on. How's that evolved even over those past four, four fiscal? It's evolved tremendously in, in large part because we have amazing customers who are interested in uh, supporting the product evolution and the growth and the value proposition. So, you know, I, I have a background as a product manager. I work for technology companies here in Alberta over 23 years. And through, mm, yeah, okay, through that career background, I learned how important it is to get the voice of the customer into your development processes. And at every turn, we did so with this company. We were very keen to listen to everything our customers had to say. And we were always asking questions and inquiring into their satisfaction level and what we could do better and so they played a huge role in the evolution of not just our product but in terms of how we position the product as well and um what i think what made our development process and sort of the the starting point of our starting point of our journey effective uh you know at a fairly quick rate is that we were operators of a service delivery organization a motor vehicle registry you you were you were and also, we were the, also customer. the customer exactly and so yeah. we knew that from an operator point of view analytics was key to not just you know growing the business and making sure that you know you're making good decisions with data but also because we have a responsibility to people and whether it's customers or staff we have a responsibility to make sure that their time delivering or receiving services is optimized and so when we created the system it was through all three lenses. And I mean, you have to start somewhere whenever you build an enterprise system, you can't just wait three years to build something. So we started with just the queuing, (laughs) you know, just remove the virtual line or the physical lines with the virtual one. And we always had our sights set on evolving that to include appointments, to include more robust analytics, to include approval workflows. Uh, We now have modules for event management with large crowds, we are just about to launch a payment module that allows visitors to pay for their service while they're waiting. And so we've just scaffolded, you know, everything in terms of a modular approach. And that, that has allowed us to get in market, acquire customers, improve the platform as we go with their feedback along the way. So if you think about, you know, I always like to, you know, what your superpower, that superpower of having your own business who had directly that problem everything I would imagine and your product manager background, that's an interesting formula to go. Well, I understand the voice of the customer and sometimes collecting that can be tricky or can be laborious depending on the gap between you and your customer. But in this case, you literally had a proving ground. Like you had a live test facility <laughs> that you could run these scenarios in and be like, oh, it'd be so nice if we could do this. And so from a business perspective, if I was if I was interviewing you as the owner of that business, not wait well, what were some of the direct improvements that you saw? Like, wow, once we got this rolling and our team got used to using it, our customers got comfortable with it. Here's the like top three things that we saw as benefits. I'll speak to that anecdotally, but also quantitatively. One of the, so okay. to start with anecdotally, our Google reviews as a registry was 3.8. And that was high across okay. the Alberta network. Yeah, registries are not a, not a high cost. Yeah. yeah, anyways, yes, we've all been yeah, to the registry. Well, you know, <laughs> Okay, I don't need to say anymore. Yeah, you're, but you're right. I mean, as an agent of the government, there are limitations to what you can do as a service provider to solve constituents' problems. And so right. that can be a very frustrating experience. 
not just for the staff, but for the visitors as well. For, yeah, for all parties yeah, involved. Yeah, that doesn't yeah, necessarily absolutely. lead to the greatest review scores. But we had a <laughs> 3.8, and we had about 800 reviews. Within okay. the first year, we increased our score to 4.3, and we had 3,300 reviews. So, Okay, wow. That's very quantifiable. That wasn't it, solicited either. That was just you know visitors telling us that they liked the system. And so that was the first indicator that we were doing something right. But within a year, we definitely saw the staff were having a more pleasant time at work. That you know, when you're dealing with 60, 70 people in a facility, the noise level is it's present and it's hard to ignore. And people are frustrated because they've been waiting. They've had no transparency into how their service is progressing and how their weight's progressing. And there's a lot of stress and aggravation that goes with that. And when you eliminate that, because people no longer have to stand there to wait, they can just enjoy a coffee or, or do some chores. They, well, you're so much more empowered as a customer. Yeah, moment, absolutely. Right? It's no different waiting for my Uber yesterday. It's seven minutes away. It's six minutes away. It's five minutes away. Okay, I can take the dog out. I can bring the dog in. I'm like, okay. And at 30 seconds, it pulled up. And that we take that so for granted, but it wasn't so long ago that that was not a no, reality. No, it's not. And uh, we, we were in uh, Carson City, Nevada to uh, present Wait Well to the Department of DMVs there recently. And we had an opportunity to go to one of their DMVs, and they had 53 t- wickets, which I've never seen before. It's, it's a, it looks like an airport. It's just a massive facility. Well, DMVs actually show, like, it, it's like how many movies have we watched? With, you, you learn about what the DMV is as a Canadian through Hollywood, and it's always portrayed as this weird environment, and there's all this chaos it's, going on. <laughs> like, it's, it's almost like, a, a, you know, from a pop culture phenomenon, the DMV is looked at as that, just what yeah, is going on over there. It's an icon <laughs> of what not to do when it comes to good. Yeah, to, to, and to, they live up to that reputation. It's by no fault of the, of the departments. I mean, they're, they're in a... Back to your point, volume intermediary between the government yeah. and regulatory. Like, there's so many factors that don't allow you to just be like, "Yeah, exactly. let me fix that for you." <laughs> and and you know, there. for the longest time, the type of data that these organizations and other public service organizations were dealing with were highly sensitive, and the infrastructures yeah. containing those data and the pro- and the processes required to manage that data responsibly was still evolving. And so there was a there was protection around that. That's now thankfully opening up and so they're they're more confident in using digital means to support service delivery because there's been so much evolution in data security and data policy and legislation as well and so they're all much more eager to embrace how technology can solve these problems and so we were at this carson city dmb I was speaking with people about their experience, and it's still a pull-the-ticket experience, and they're terrified to leave because if their number gets called while they're waiting or while they're not there, that three-hour wait now has to start over. So when you can communicate where they're at in that process, just letting them know you're still number 20 in line, you know, it should be another 10 minutes, like it's just peaceful. And so back to the point we were making about staff. So when they show up at that wicket, they're already at exactly. the point of, of being able to communicate effectively with that agent to solve whatever complex or simple exactly. problems in front of them at and that And when, when you add the ability, mm-hmm. so it's not just about the transparency, but it's about the ability to still communicate. And so with our system, visitors can text in and the agents who are monitoring the queue see those text messages and respond to them. So it's not just this one-way static 
Oh, interesting. Okay, so there is. A, I haven't used your system, so thank yeah. you for giving us a little bit more. Content. And so that just me, like from from a stat, like back to the question around how we saw the benefits at the registry. It was that staff were retained better. Like they were not as eager to leave. They were not, you know, trying to get rid of shifts. So the productivity level and the overall atmosphere level for staff increased, which of course translates into the quality of the work. And lastly, we absolutely saw growth. We saw growth in in the number of visitors on a monthly basis to the tune of about thirty percent. So that business grew. Oh wow, that's a that's a that's a that's a that's a impactful number when it comes yeah. to the fact that the business stayed the same, the building stayed the same. My cost, and I was able to add thirty percent more business. Absolutely, to and a part of that is because the. No, that's a great. I appreciate. I appreciate the quant and qualification of, of that of that journey. <laughs> so, talk to me a little bit about like what we, I was having some conversations with uh, Brian and Jacques over at uh, Metiquity that are big fans and early supporters of of Waitwell, and they were sharing with me using they used you as an example of like what a great example of a company that was already doing well was already had some success that decided to raise money very specifically to grow and to expand its business, not to just make it through to the next cycle or make it through to the next raise. We were really talking about the shift in the last six to eight months of like, well, companies now actually need to show that they're a real business. And I'm like, whoa, what a shocking concept. And we were being a bit facetious in terms of, you know, maybe there was some ranting going on. I'm not sure. Maybe there was a glass of wine around the fact that there was a period of time not that long ago when companies were getting to their next raise just to almost get to the next raise. And I'm really oversimplifying so people can roll their eyes if they want. But you were brought up to me as an example of like, wow, what a great, what a great, company that's built itself on a solid business model chose to go for funding, which we'll talk about in a second, because of a very specific targeted growth, but they didn't need to otherwise. And well, you know, which for them was part of their thesis of this is now a good investment. <laughs> so talk to us a little bit. You just raised 1.5 to accelerate your growth into the US, but give us a little bit of more context around that. Right. As a software development, co- like as a software company, we take the agile methodology that we use in producing software and we apply that to operations in a lot of ways. So whether it's marketing or whether it's fundraising, we don't take giant leaps where you have to have, you know, eight months worth of plans all documented before you begin anything. And so in the context of fundraising, why that matters is because we weren't and when we did our first raise, we, we could have raised three million. Like we could have set a target like that, but we didn't know enough about our market and our solution, who we wanted to target, and the best strategies for how to go about that at the time to be able to responsibly invest three million dollars. And so, instead, what we decided to do was, well, let's bootstrap this thing far enough to a point where, when we do first attempt to raise funds, we can actually speak to what we've been doing that's generated success so that we can say the money is going to be applied to accelerating what we are doing and here's what it is and here's how it's producing results for us. So that enabled the conversation to be more about um, accelerating growth than how are you going to find success in your markets? And it was just a more tangible, concrete conversation with our investors at that point. So much so that we had people wanting to invest and oversubscribe, and we we did not do so. Um, instead, what we did is I appreciate I appreciate this requires a lot of discipline to say no to money. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> saying yes to money also comes with a responsibility of. <laughs> it's not, you mean it's, they're not just giving it to you? you no, know, yeah, and yeah. you know, I think that's what Brian and Jacques and all the other investors who've participated in our company see in us, and that is an understanding of how the relationship 
from their side of things has to be managed. And we're on the same page right from the beginning because of that. And so although we could have raised more money, we rather felt like let's use what we have and just prove our thesis, our strategies. And then at that point we can go back and look for another fundraise and demonstrate once again, how it was applied and, and why investing in us is going to be, um, not a short thing, but I like to think so, but you know, certainly more, of course, of course, certainly a higher probability. Best intentions, but with a sense of realism, of course. And so I don't know of many companies that did more than one seed round. I mean, we called it a seed B. I'm not even sure if that's actually a thing. I know. I I saw that. I'm like, is that a made up thing? I'll be honest with you. I was like, what is that? I have not seen that before. Not that I'm an expert in all the terms, but part of what I do on the show, especially follow the money is like, let's try to unpack some of these terms so that the maybe uninitiated can go, oh, you mean a friends and family or an angel might come before this and then an A is here and I seed B. I was what like, what the heck is a seed B? Except or it comes after the first seed round is what yeah, I, I mean, that's the reason we went with that. And like I said, I mean, I'm not saying okay. that we were the only company to do that, but I was not able to. Um, it did. It, it caught my it caught my attention when I was reading the press release. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> and so, you know, we didn't do a pre-seed round because uh, fortunately the three founders had the appropriate skill set to get the company off the ground. So one of the founders is a programmer, a full stack developer. I have a finance degree and uh, experience in product management. Shannon is an amazing marketer and service provider. So we were able to bootstrap it with just our own efforts and and get to that point. Which really goes back to who's the team, right? Because in the early days, the idea is part of it, but the team is more of it. When I speak to founders who are just getting started now, it's probably the thing I most commonly um, suggest Hmm. is to ensure that your starting team can get you as far as possible without needing to raise funds. And if that means partnering with a technical person to be able to build what your idea is, then it's probably the best use of your initial equity is to do so. I had an early stage investor on a while back, Mark Mitchell, a well-known guy here in town. He said, well, Tyler, let's not forget as a startup, if you cannot take my money and beat and do well, that's a better path. He goes, of course I want to invest and that's my job. But he goes, if you don't need to use me, then more mm-hmm. power to you. And I was like, I appreciated his perspective just even on that. Yeah. Statement. And, and it, <laughs> like, I think founders would feel the same, right? Because you know, one of the biggest apprehensions I see from founders is the fear of dilution. And yeah, absolutely. I'm going to work this hard for how much <laughs> at the end or what percentage or like, am I now, am I kind of working for somebody now? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the which most of us got into it to not work for somebody. <laughs> That's right. You know, and, and it's it's understandable. It's a very emotional thing. But at the same time, you know, markets evolve at a pace that we can't necessarily control. And you have to understand the speed at yeah. which that's going on because it determines in a lot of ways how patient you can be with your with your go-to-market strategies. Yeah, and if you're... True. Yeah, you, you wait too long and you miss the window or someone leapfrogs exactly. right past you. Right? And so... You know, there is there is some urgency when you're getting off the ground because you have to entrench and establish your beachheads quickly so that you have that healthy platform from which to then grow, especially if you're in a business like ours where you're selling subscriptions and you're doing annual recurring revenue models. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, you don't want to take too much cash because that will incent behaviors of spending that cash, which might not necessarily be the most effective use of capital. And that could send you down the wrong the wrong road. And so it is a delicate balance, but I certainly would encourage founders yeah. to 
realize that the equity in the beginning is the currency you have to um, establish the partnerships and the relationships that can help yeah. you be success and navigate that balance. So, I've had a few investors come on the show and, and com- make comments around the fact that sometimes in Canada, we actually don't set our startups up for success because we come in and we take too much uh, ownership in the company or we the valuation isn't right. And you're not thinking about the next two or three raises. You're getting too locked up on, you know, this one now is actually not in the best interest of the company mm-hmm. or the founders. And they described it as a bit more of a Canadian problem because of the age and maybe just the, the, the still the lack of maturity in our ecosystem, especially around seed and, and early stage investing. And I've heard that a few times come up around, like it is so critical. You don't mess up that mm-hmm. first round because it's not so much about the now it's about the, it's yeah, about later. You know what? Mm-hmm. I think in talking about how the landscape is evolving, I think this is a really clear demonstration of the investment community um, realizing that their job isn't just to uh, build their own portfolios. Their job is to actually build partnerships with their founding teams so that together they have the best chance of success. And and I certainly had the opportunity to speak with investors early on where the where the goal was clearly just how can this company increase and maximize our return as a fund and then you meet companies like metiquity graphite um accelerate fund blue sky mm-hmm. equities and some of the other vcs that are partners here at Waywell, and their interest of so of course that's that's what they're there for but their interest is in working with us to be successful and that's primarily why we've raised funds is to find partners like that and i think that's a you know to the to the credit of companies like metiquity brian and jock and Craig and Omi at Graphite and others, you know, they see that and they get that. And founders are definitely finding themselves with more opportunity to talk to investors that have that mindset. And that's a great thing. Mm, I really appreciate that. And I'm, I'm looking in from the outside at this world, someone who's not spent time in venture capital or, even, or, or done a startup where I had to do a significant raise. And, you know, the old joke is like, oh, another VC that says they're different, that says that they care. <laughs> And, you know, and I'm starting to see a movement, certainly, and maybe in Calgary, because that's where I'm having these conversations of guys like Brian and Jacques, I know them so well, or there's, you know, Wilson Acton over at Tallgrass Ventures or Mark Mitchell, where they are getting very involved with the companies. And when you're at that early stage, those founders need a lot of support in in all kinds of different different areas. And just because I know those individuals, when they say they're rolling up their sleeves and getting involved, I believe them. (laughs) It's not, it's not just rhetoric in a VC. Absolutely. (laughs) I can, I can uh, testify to that. You know, the the founders we've had, particularly Jacques and Brian, yeah, they, they are they are at every turn available to us. You know, I've had phone calls with those gentlemen yeah. late in the day on weekends. They've dropped what they're doing to support us. They proactively realized where we're at as a business and offered contacts and uh, opportunities to kind of, you know, meet people that are really supportive of our growth. Um, by contrast, you know, I've had... I mean, I meet with VCs very regularly, and I've spoken to many. How much? How much of a percentage of your day, if you're just going to take your week, and I have 100 percent of time dedicated to the, we'll separate family and life, we'll just focus on business. How much of your role, the CEO, is interacting with VCs? Some that you are going to do business with, some that is just part of you meeting. Yeah, it's just part of the operating cadence that I've created. I try to do. I try to do 10 percent of my time a week. I would say on on. Okay. That's, yeah, I'm just curious, just because you seem like any guy who knows his numbers, so that's why I asked. Yeah, because you know you're always yeah. like, like, in my opinion, anyway, fundraising isn't. And I think we we kind of started with this. Fundraising isn't just about making payroll. I mean, 
you know, if a, if a startup finds itself in a situation where that's what it's about, I think they've missed an opportunity to realize that fundraising is as much yeah. about the relationships and establishing the, the dynamics with whom you work to optimize what you're trying to achieve. And so I'm constantly meeting with VCs because if I can find a VC that seems to be a great fit in helping us with this next stage and growth that we're working through. Like, so for example, right now we're really trying to have better access to private healthcare in the U S. And so if I meet a VC whose thesis is around that and has portfolio companies that can support us in that kind of part of our strategy, then we might open up a, a round to kind of create that relationship. And so I see, I see fund rate. Where it becomes less and almost less about the money or equally balanced from the money to the network, the access, the connections, the relationships, the, the gateway into that's the how, markets geographically right, or that's how I see it. And now I, I, I recognize that I've been, been fortunate to be a part of a company where we were revenue positive early on. We were profitable our first year and we've been doubling growth every year. We're going to, we're just. Well, lucky, or you just made it happen, but there's two ways to look yeah. at luck, right? <laughs> there's many ways to look at luck. The harder I work, the luckier I get. But anyways, not to not to ever minimize, many a humble CEO minimizes by calling it luck. I'm like, hmm, looks like a lot of hours, smart decisions, and hard work. But if you want to call it luck, <laughs> yeah. that's cool. <laughs> yeah, I, you're, you're right about that. There's been no shortage of hard work, but it's... <laughs> I don't doubt. That's, that's, I'm getting that yeah. sense, uh, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> but um, nevertheless, you know, we've we've found ourselves in a position where as a company we've been generating revenue fairly rapidly. You know, we're just shy of a million dollars in our third fiscal year. And, um, nice. This fiscal year is looking even stronger. And that's all subscription based based on ARR. Like that, that's, yeah, that's, that's the, that's the currency that trades well is like, Oh, it's this. And it's, you know, it's SaaS based and it's, and it's subscription based. It's almost entirely ARR. Our retention rate was over 98% this year. So, you know, all the things, Amazing. Oh, that's a good, that's that selling is one thing, retaining is a whole other thing, right? That's, oh, that's a great. It, you know, it's, it's such a, it's almost cliche, but you work so hard to acquire your customers that, you know, uh, to lose them yeah. is, is really just a function of, you know, not providing the service levels they need and both in terms of product feature responsiveness, but also in troubleshooting and making sure that, you know, what we implement meets their needs specifically. But, um, but yeah, so so I guess what I was just trying to conclude there with is, is that uh, you know when you're when you're look, looking at fundraising, you know thinking about it opportunistically from the point of view of you know these are these are organizations that help me reach the milestones I need to reach in this organization to achieve our goals, and you know it, it just so happens that money comes along with that. But I think it's you know <laughs> that's a I really like how you I really like how you're presenting that. Yeah, it's absolutely. a bit of a lens shift because it's easy to think yeah. it's just, to think it's all about the money. But it, but you know anyone I've talked to, it's like well, no, we need the partners, we need resources, we need advice, we need someone who's been down this path. Uh, we need you know someone who's got connections because again, life is about relationships and being able yeah, to open you, doors. Or like success does not come by the money; it comes by the people to whom the money you know provides the the yeah. means of. of, of co- <laughs> The money's the gas in the tank, right? You still, someone it's, still has to drive <laughs> and give directions. It's who you hire, it's who you partner with, it's who you work with, it's the networks you establish, it's the communities you you endeavor to to become par- a part of, and uh, you know. So, so the money is just a medium, but but it's the people and the relationships and the and the and the um, access to to uh, to support that is what matters the most. And so, for me, the VC community is is uh, key to that and. 
Yeah. So the cost of it is is some shares and, and the benefit of it is some cash, but more importantly, it's the connections. And so that's the way that we look at fundraising. And that's why we did two seed rounds. You know, we initially talked about why the 1.5 million and how it went. It was because we just met two great VCs. You know, we were at the platform event. We were one of the uh, uh, founder, one of the founding companies nominated as a top 10. We went to the founders. Oh, right on. Yeah, that's right. I did, I yeah, did that we went to the funders and founders dinner and I met the principals at uh, the two VCs that we ended up uh, leading this round. And they were the right, they were just instantly, it was like, well, these, these folks will help us. Hmm, and so the, and they were like, well, are you guys going to do a round? And we're like, well, we're not sure. And it's just sort of, it's the right thing to do. We need, we want to be partnered with you. And so we'll do a round. And that's how that happened. And of course, you know, hmm. we, in the meantime, we've seen huge growth in the U S and so this is going to be used to help us really penetrate that market better. Uh, very clear intent of this. This yeah. is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. This is the money that's going to help us as well as to your point, the relationships yeah. and the connections. <laughs> I love it. So I'm also hearing, and I'm reading between the lines here, that the ecosystem being the Calgary, Western Canada environment, being that you were, you know, a COVID baby, COVID baby, if you will. I'm sorry, I don't know where that came from, but the COVID baby. Uh, it sounds like you've also been able to have the right support systems and like the ecosystem, which is an also overused word, but it sounds like it's really been to your favor in this environment, like that you guys got where you are because you had the support and you were able to get access. You use platform, you know, some other local uh, VCs. It, it sounds like that system is quote unquote working. I, yeah, definitely. We did, we participated in, so, so Alberta Innovates has been a huge help for us in terms of not just nice. the grants that are supplied, but also the ability to participate in these ecosystem activities. And, you know, the startup TNT process that they use kind of just the entire structure of that event really helps to sharpen the pencils a lot when you're that young as a startup because i mean you're in a competition and you know it's probably the first time most startups have access to funding and so there's a lot of hygiene that you have to put into your business in order to be ready for that <laughs> hygiene is a very nice way to say it. <laughs> and like so that, that was yeah, yeah. that really helped us kind of you know clean up our operations enough to actually be you know market facing with what we do and you know, fortunately, we won. We won the, our, the summit we participated in, but that led to other accelerators. So we we were granted um, a seat at the CDL at the uh, Destructive Labs there. Oh, so you've literally been through the gamut, if you will, yeah. of the resource. Like you're literally name dropping the resources in in, in Alberta, certainly in, in absolutely. In, in and and you know, Growth X did a did a. Um, an accelerator sponsored by uh, Alberta Innovates, and we participated in that as well. And and each time you do these things, they help you mature your business, your, the way you're thinking, your strategies. They give you access to other startups that you can learn from. They give you access to investors that you can learn from. I mean, I learned more from the investors that didn't invest in us uh, early on because um, there was a lot, there was <laughs> a lot yeah. more of that yeah, than yeah. there was. <laughs> You learn more from your nose than yeah. your yeses, right? Or you learn different. You learn different things. You learn different yeah. things. <laughs> and you know, one thing I love about investors is that uh, you know they're 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 candid, you know, and so <laughs> candor is one of my favorite. My favorite, I don't know value way of life. I don't know how what you want to quantify that, but you get much more accomplished when people just tell you straight what's going on. Hey, here's what I see. I like this, but this is I don't like this. And you're like, oh well, you know yeah. what? You're not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> or you maybe sometimes you're like, Ugh, grumble, grumble, and then you go back and, yeah. and, and deal yeah, with it. You have to. <laughs> 
can't fix the secret and all those other jokes. Yeah, you have you to, you have to approach that with, uh, you know, with, uh, with objectivity, you can't take the candidness too, too personally. You have to be objective about it. And, uh, yeah, they aren't always right. I mean, they have opinions, but they're not, you know, <laughs> yeah, let's not, let's not put them on a yeah. pedestal, shall we, Steven? Let's actually just say that you're, you're entitled to your opinion. I'm entitled that's to not right. agree with you. Yeah. That, that's you're, cool. You get an argument about it. It's not productive, but I mean, yeah, they're, they're candid, but they're not always right. But nevertheless, you, you know. <laughs> nice. Well said. Let's not, let's not be too humble here. Yeah. Let's still go. Well, you know, I still have to, you have to look at every conversation with a critical yeah. eye. And sometimes you don't always know the whole story when you're offering your opinion on something too. That's there's many yeah. layers to it. But I look Alberta Innovates, Growth X, Startup TNT platform. Like it, you're kind of name dropping the 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 cohort of of groups and organizations uh, funded or private or otherwise that have really taken hold over the last three to five years in Calgary and like from what I've seen had a real positive impact. So I, I love that you've like literally almost, you, if anyone who's taking notes, like you don't sure and you're not familiar with these organizations, write the names down, go Google it, go go search it yeah. and learn about them because they're having positive impacts. That's great to hear. Absolutely. Um, you just, when did you close the round? So I was creeping on your, on your, on your uh, press release, but I didn't see, I forgot to live write the date. Yeah. <laughs> July. Yeah, like j- just, just like in the last yeah. little bit, right? Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. I'm like, this is pretty fresh. Mm. Yeah, July 10th. Nice. So the, the the rounds in the rounds in place, whatever the terms are, how it's going to be distributed. That's that's not that we don't need to get into those details. But now you're moving forward, and primarily that was earmarked or tied to expansion into the U.S., which sounds like you've already had some some success there. Yeah, we started that process or so the initial. Uh, the initial amount of money that we raised went towards a very specific go-to-market strategy on one market, okay. which was higher education. And, you know, the first year, like the experience of the company was that in the first year we saw customers come from a range of markets and we eventually categorized them into four markets. So higher ed, uh, public services like government, like DMVs, police offices, things like that, private health care, and then hospitality. And so we had customers that fit in all these buckets. And we knew that as a small company, we can't develop effective go-to-market strategies against all of them because they're all huge markets. And so... They, and they all have they their, all own have their own characteristics, right? It's all a different ideal customer profile. Even the way they implement the solution, the use cases of it was different. And so, you know, we didn't want to get too spread thin in terms of our development efforts either. And so we knew that we had to pick one and we picked higher education. And so we spent... Okay you know, a portion of that early funding developing and harnessing a go-to-market strategy for higher education. And it just so happened that that allowed us to be in both Canada and the U.S. And we had a lot of success. We we acquired a lot of really large post-secondary institutions across the two countries. And um, so that really helped us understand the U.S. landscape because of the higher ed market and what's involved regulatory and um, setting up our servers in the U.S. and things like that. And so that really gave us the, the foundation to then really go hard after the U.S. and some of the other markets. And so the fundraise was really about recognizing the healthcare system in the U.S. is massive and the next um, bowling pin for us to knock over as we, yeah. And okay. So that's what our focus will be in the next 12 months. Yeah. How big's your team, Steve? We now have right now. 14 people. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. How has, I know, always curious about this uh, talent acquisition, 
challenging, not like, again, I can't say, I doubt it's not challenging, but how is that, has that been a limiting factor for you at all in your growth? Hiring as a startup initially is very challenging. It's the, yeah, it's the <laughs> second hardest thing next to, next to, you know, product market fit. But now it's been a lot easier because, you know, once you start getting a bit of traction and, and all these ecosystem elements that we're talking about, I mean, part of being involved, like and I, you mentioned it earlier, but to your listeners, I mean, like these are critical things to get your company aligned into because the awareness factor means that when you go to hire, people have heard of you and, and yeah. it's a little easier now. Oh, as a marketer, you yeah. know, yeah, I, I'm always like that. That gets so underestimated. Of like, it's so much easier to open that next door if they've quote unquote heard of you. Like, literally, as at its most simplest form of awareness. Yeah, and, they, and it has to be you know compelling too, right? And so, you, like, you can't just be there. You have to be active. And so, we do things like we started a summer internship uh, program this year for two young individuals who are looking to pursue software in their education, their post-secondary education. Nice. Good for you. That's, that could be really hard to do as a startup because nobody has time. Everybody's busy. Good for you guys. Good for you to take the, because that takes energy and effort to to give them a quality experience. Because if you're not going to give them a quality experience, well, don't do it, in my, exactly. in my opinion. Too many companies, nobody's getting coffee and making copies anymore. That's yeah, not that's how that right. works. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I personally sponsored that program here and we've got them working in Angular, doing a bit of a project for us. So it's it's actually a hands-on thing. But cool. the reason I bring that up is because, you know, it's all part of building your uh, ecosystem of, of potential um, employees. And, you know, it, it's a responsible thing to do and it's necessary. You know, you have to demonstrate your willingness to work with your with your team as they take, you know, take on a bit of a risk in joining a startup. So it has to be worth it for them. And so we run these programs to demonstrate our commitment to to their careers and to their growth, and and uh, that word spreads, and then you start having more success in hiring. So it's been a lot better recently, but yeah, the first two years it was really hard, <laughs> yeah, very hard, yeah. Who are you again, and why would I take a risk on you? And yeah, and for, yeah, are for, you going to be yeah. able to pay me? I, yeah, I, it, 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 I really like you said about it, it's kind of a trade. If you're going to take a risk on us, here's what we're going to do to actually make it worthwhile for you. Yeah, looking at it, and we, you know, I mean, it's. I think it's also necessary that your your early team and and even you know beyond, but certainly at, at the early stages that you know they feel a sense of ownership too, and so we make that possible for our for our team. Oh, fantastic! So yeah, not yeah, that the the ownership mindset. It's a fun thing to read, and you can just books written about it, yeah. <laughs> and you know that concept, but making it real for those individuals because it is hard work and it is. You're always, you're not, you can't mail it in in a startup, especially with 14 people. Everyone has a face. Everyone has an accountability. Yeah. Like no one's hiding in the corner. Like, oh, what does that person yeah. even do? That doesn't happen to start in small companies. Yeah, that's right. Every, and, you know, everything we do is the first. And so, you know, you're, we're not. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> How did we do this before? Uh, we didn't. So yes. let's figure it out. Yeah, that that's overwhelming. And that it's exciting until it's, until yeah. it's real, right? Mm -hmm. At, no one's telling you how to do the assignment. They're just telling you what the hoped outcome is, and then you need to figure out all the pieces right. that go into it. <laughs> and I think, I think from a hiring point of view, you know, your your staff have to be your best references. And so, if they have good experiences, because you empower them, you support them, you know, you take a very agile approach to everything we do, where it's okay to get it wrong. Everything is just a learning process, and support that yeah. that approach to to the work. Then I think they become a strong reference for others, and that's kind of how we how we've approached it. So yeah, the last, first two years tough, the last year much better, the last few months even better still. Yeah. <laughs> I had a consultant years ago and he said, you know, your culture, you can think your culture is whatever you want, 
whatever one of your employees answers of about where about your company at a backyard barbecue yeah. on the weekend, that's your culture. And I was like, mm, yeah, I like that a lot. I always keep that in mind. Doesn't matter what I put up on the wall. What they when someone goes, where do you work? Oh, what's that like? What they say next? That's yeah, your culture. And, you know, we talk about <laughs> culture a lot. We we did talk a lot about it as if like as if we could sort of predefine what the culture would be early on. And I mean, it wasn't mm-hmm. in vain. Like, I mean, you still have to. Um, yeah, you have, there has to be some intentionality right. to it. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, the people you hire shape it and the degree yeah. to which you empower them to shape it also matters. And so, you know, we just, we just, hmm. I like that. The degree, the degree to which you empower them. Yeah. Like that and so I, mm-hmm. I think our culture is, is, um, it evolves with every person that we hire to some extent. And, you know, the, yep. so hiring isn't just about finding yeah. somebody who wants to work for you. It's also about making sure there's good fit dynam- and dynamics with the people you already have. And that makes it even harder as a startup because, you know, the pool isn't big to begin with. But now to find within that pool yeah. somebody who can do the job but also fit in your culture, you know, we don't shortchange that. That's important too. It feels like we're always looking for unicorns, isn't it? <laughs> and 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 they and those and those individuals are also looking for unicorn yeah. companies to work. I don't mean unicorns in the financial sense. I mean like, oh, it's great to work with. I like the work. The people are great. The pay is good. The hours are reasonable. Like all the the characteristics yeah. that that go. Oh, if I yeah. can find that, uh, Stephen, I got a question for you, and I didn't give you this in advance, so I apologize. Not really, because I'd love to, you know, keep us on our toes. It's all good. Yeah. Surround leadership. I've been getting some feedback from some of my guests that they're like, you know, we want to get to know your your guests from, or I'm getting this from my audience, actually, I should say. And I had got it from a guest the other day, a couple of guests, and said, we want to just get a little bit more around kind of the nuance of being being a leader and in, in all these, whether it's a startup or an established organization. So one of the questions I love to ask is, from your perspective, you think about your journey as a leader. What's the wonder? Like, what what would you say is the top skill that has really benefited you as a leader? That a few years back you had no idea that that was going to be important. That it's kind of evolved over time, and you're like, wow, if I only knew, that would have maybe been different. Anything come to mind from you on your own journey of terms of like what you use from a day to day perspective as a leader that five years ago you really didn't see it coming? <laughs> yeah, so I think it's a great question, I, and it's hard to pick one thing. But I would say, okay, well, you can, I always yeah. joke, like my top three usually has five or six things <laughs> yeah. in it because I'm like, well, it's, here's a bunch of things and depends on the day. And so, yeah, you can throw a couple at me. You don't have yeah. to pick the one you can pick, you can pick a hand, uh, like a little I think handful. That, I think recently, particularly as a, as a startup, I think the, the most effective characteristic is allowing people to embrace their own way of doing things, even if it means, you know, mistakes are made that you could have avoided had you done it or told them what to do. And so, you know, I watch these, these folks who have joined us have passion for what we're trying to do together and they have great ideas and you've got to let them run with it. And, you know, I can, I can get involved uh, and influence that, or I can give them what they need to be successful doing that. And even if it means, you know, it takes a little longer, even if it means it costs a little bit more, and even if it means, you know, we have to uh, scrap the work and start over. Um, it's it's critical to allow that process to happen for them because otherwise they can never get to the place we are as founders. I mean, we forget that from like when you're when you're when you're from ground the ground floor, when you did everything, we take it for granted how much knowledge we acquired through our failures. You know, we weren't getting it right every time. Yeah. We learned. Uh, Doesn't it all blend together, though? My review mirror, it's kind yeah, of blurry. Like to, and, yeah. yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. There, there's, uh, you know, uh, 
trauma plus time yeah. equals hilarity like, oh yeah remember that major disaster oh it wasn't that bad yeah it's right fine. We, 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 we quick you know short memories are key to being successful as yes we do yeah absolutely it's important to have a short memory when you're starting up you know otherwise you'd, you'd you know dwell on the mistakes and you can't uh that's that's yeah that's yeah you yeah <laughs> the, re- the rear mirror is yeah, smaller than the windshield I try for not to even look backwards but you know anyway like like i for i forget <laughs> how much i bobbled things early on and i did i like i mean they like staff will watch me do a demo yeah, now advice, and like, yeah. Man, that's polished well yeah that's three years of having made mistakes that's why it's polished and so i can't i can't expect them to not have their own process of learning through mistakes and through trial and error and if as a leader we get too involved uh you know because it's you know it's, you got to let go and that's the hard thing but leadership is about you know supporting people to be um owners of their own work and and uh, you know passionate about what they do and that's well supporting them in learning while not trying to do it for them yeah. like, that's a tricky balance like we all like to jump in sometimes on our white horse and go look i have the answer where that actually is that's a that's you're solving a short-term thing but not not allowing right. long-term growth and so <laughs> the role becomes being clear on what we're trying to achieve collectively, like, like set the, I call it the big why. So, you know, uh, what is our big why? What are we all here to do collectively? And then break that into the objectives of your department. And I work really hard to make that clear and to make that meaningful and not too many things, not a hundred goals, not a thousand KPIs, just the company big why. And then what is the goal for your department that helps us collectively achieve that? I focus very much on that and keeping people aligned to that. And then from there over to you, whatever you think is best, how you want to do it is best. You know, if you, if you fail, no problem, learn from it and let's do it again. But that skill is something that in a startup land, like, I mean, we all have any of any of us who've been executives prior to doing startup, which I have, I mean, you know that's important. Empowering your teams is important. Good communication is important, but it is vital in startup land. And so, I would say that's probably been the most um, visible skill set in terms of good startup leadership. But I would say a close second is active listening. Just li- like they're learning too. I'm not on the calls every day with customers like I once was. And so, what are they learning? Keep that voice of customer inside the organization by encouraging them to share. Yeah. And that gets tough when there's layers in between yeah. like uh, the leadership team and maybe and the actual physical customer because voice of a customer is a nice concept, but in a world like yours, you're actually, people are talking to the actual customer all the time. How are you benefiting, solving their problem yeah, while also that's listening? Right. And so I would say that was number two is, you know, you have to be an effective listener um, early because the information is just so impactful early on and making sure that you have a listening culture and a sharing culture is really important. Oh, those were awesome. I threw that question at the end as, as something we're going to start to do more of. So you were my first victim on, oh, on, a, on a question yeah. like that. But I, I love it. That was awesome. That was it. I like it at the end because we've kind of covered it and that things are more settled in. It's a good time to ask a question like that. You can get some heartfelt yeah. responses. Uh, Stephen, loved your candor, loved your, you know, the accountability to the numbers and like, well, here's where it benefited us and here's where there was some numbers and here's where it drove improvement. Really appreciated the thought and clearly the grasp that you have of your product. And as a customer of your own product, being able to kind of give us that journey, how you saw the direct wins. That's hugely powerful. Uh, from uh, obviously wait, waitwell.ca, if someone wants to learn more, you guys have a great website. If someone wants to chat with you and reach out and they're just like so inspired, do you have a preferred channel? There's a million ways, but do you ever, is it LinkedIn? Do you have an email? Like what, what do you yeah, like? Honestly, LinkedIn has been, uh, prior, to, prior to Startup Land, it would have been the right thing, but it's so, it's so busy with other you know, less essential things. So yeah, LinkedIn's getting a bit noisy these days. If I get one more cold, like, Hey, 
because we know 17 of the same people, you should buy from me. I'm like, oh, put some effort in before yeah, you send me that message. But, but anyways, I think we're all getting a little tired of that yeah, one on LinkedIn. Yeah, certainly. And so I would just invite people to email me. It's uh, stevevm at waitwell.ca, S-T-E-V. Nice, thanks. I love when guests put out their emails and and put it out there to the world. Thank you for that. Steven, congrats on the work you're doing. I love it. It was really, really good to have a touch base and kind of get like the where are we now. So put it in your calendar. A year from now, we're going to be back and we're going to have a conversation and we're going to talk about what's what's happening. We'll talk about the journey to 3 million at that time. You know what? Game game on. I'm going to put it in my calendar right now. Steven, thanks, thanks so much. It's it's out there yep. in the world. It's it's now it's now recorded for posterity. Yep. That was a great chat. It was good getting to know you, my thanks, friend. Thank Tyler. you.